Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Coach's Road podcast. Today, we welcome on Sean Hathaway from Colorado to talk about his journey as a coach and how he ended up where he is now. Uh, Rick, I met Sean uh, quite a while back as a, as a player myself, and I was um, an under-16s player, um, and he was a coach on my team. And, you know, he, he really made an impact on, on my development and kind of the path that I took uh, to becoming a coach and going to school and um, everything like that. So it was a pleasure to to talk with him today and, and kind of learn from him and learn about his journey and and how he coaches. And yeah, I think it was a, it was a really cool episode, um, finally exploring kind of a youth coach's perspective on their journey rather than a, a per- professional coach. Yeah, it was the first time that I met Sean today. And I need to say it was a very energetic and powerful episode I personally uh, got a lot out of it and I enjoyed speaking the opportunity to Sean because uh, it seems like he had a lot of different circumstances to overcome but he has been learning a lot with those and also how he has been mentioning how he was coaching in comparison to 1997 and now it has it has a huge change and especially the way how he has been overcome his challenges and the way he how he deals with difficult circumstances really shows how much he has been growing over these 23 years. But this is enough. So let's kick it over to Sean and enjoy the interview. So we'd like to welcome on Sean Hathaway from Colorado to the, the Coaches World Podcast. Sean, thanks for joining us today, and uh, how's, the, how's it going in Colorado? Thanks for having me. Things are good. Uh, we're playing hockey, which is important. So we've been, uh, teams have been on the ice since uh, August and uh, actually took a team to Minnesota this last weekend. So we are playing games and, and traveling and, uh, yeah, just a little bit of the restrictions with rinks and, and a number of number of people in the in the ranks to be able to watch and, and time in the locker room and all those things have been uh, a little bit different. But uh, the important thing is that we're we're playing. Yeah, great that the kids can be back on the ice. Um, that's the most important thing with their bodies. Um, I think for them it was pretty tough to stay so long time at home without having any opportunity to do some sports or activities. But to move in into our conversation, could you please introduce yourself and give me a brief overview? So where did you grow up? What sports or activities did you pursue as a youth? And where, what are you currently doing? You bet. Yeah, my name is Sean Hathaway. Uh, I'm currently the executive director of Team Colorado, which is a AAA girls uh, program here in Colorado. And I can explain that in a little bit here. But uh, um, I also serve as a head coach of the Colorado Springs Tigers Bantam AAA team. And, uh, and I'm working as the American Development Model Coordinator for the state of Colorado. Um, grew up in Colorado Springs, uh, played hockey uh, and soccer as a youth, um, loved sports, loved watching hockey. Um, growing up here in Colorado, when I was uh, young, uh, there really wasn't the AAA, there wasn't really an avenue. You basically played hockey as, uh, for fun and, and no one really knew that you could move on and play at higher levels. Uh, we had a college team here, uh, Colorado College, that I grew up watching, a Division One team, and it was, uh, you, you never thought it was ever realistic to, to play on that team because all these guys were coming in from Canada and from Minnesota and 
in the places that were hockey markets. Um, and since, um, since playing um, and, and after college, I got into coaching and, and now the landscape here in Colorado is, is a lot different. And, and we're seeing a lot of kids from Colorado moving on, playing Division One hockey, NHL hockey. Um, so I've, I've, seen, I've seen quite a change from, from growing up playing here to, uh, to now being involved as a, as a director and, and kind of leading the, the youth movement, helping to lead it. Yeah, it's great to hear that you have been involved such a long time in, I, in, in hockey overall. And I mean, every one of us, I, I'm pretty sure, has favorite memories. And could you maybe share your favorite memories in hockey? It can be anything. It can be as a coach, as a player, or maybe just as a fan. Yeah, I mean, my probably my biggest memories would be um, watching college hockey. Um, I was born in May 1973, and winter of 74, my parents were taking me to uh, to Colorado College hockey games. And uh, uh, growing up, that was um, kind of a weekend every weekend that they had home games. It was the old Broadmoor World Arena. Uh, that's where that's where I'd be. And uh, so probably my greatest memories would be watching some old college hockey back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I remember I, um, like you, I grew up in Colorado Springs and, and playing for the Junior Tigers there. You have, it's a, it's a special feeling to go into those games and, and you can see yourself on the ice almost. And um, it's, uh, those are some of my favorite memories around hockey as well. But, you know, moving more into um, what you got you started in coaching, can you describe the circumstances and, and the motivation that, that you had when you started coaching? Yeah, you bet. Um, so I came back, I, I went to a school, a college in Illinois, uh, graduated in, in 1995. I moved back to Colorado Springs, um, had a full-time job um, as actually as a safety director for a heavy highway construction company. And I started coaching youth hockey, started coaching squirts and, and absolutely loved it. And after a couple of years, uh, realized that this is something that I wanted to pursue. I'd always had a, a dream of, of, you know, coaching, playing at a high level, being around the game, um, was still attending CC games this time as, a, as an adult and, and still had that bug to, to do a little bit more. So um, in 1997, I ended up at the USA Hockey National Office and uh, talking to a former manager there about uh, what I needed to do to, to get into the industry. And his recommendation was simple. He said, you need to go get a, a degree. Um, he recommended a master's degree program at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and basically said, if you, uh, you will get your master's degree, it was a, a program, a sports studies program, which was uh, psychology and sociology and physiology applied to, to sport, um, that that would be your ticket into the coaching world. And uh, so I applied, uh, got in a graduate assistantship, and, and in 1998, I found myself uh, quitting my job, packing up, and and uh, moving back to Oxford, Ohio, and, and started my journey. Yeah, so are there any memorable people or events? Um, you know, you just mentioned moving to Miami, but any anything that sticks out that helped you kind of get started as a, in your first couple years of coaching? Yeah, I mean, I knew I wanted to, uh, to get back to the game. Um, you know, I played a little bit of hockey in college. It was a club team in Illinois. It wasn't the best. Um, so that was kind of a disappointment to, to be sort of out of playing the game. So coming back here and getting back into coaching, um, it was important. It, it was a, a good start. Um, I think really when I got uh, 
uh, Val Belmonte was the, the manager at USA Hockey that talked to me about going to, uh, to get a graduate degree. And uh, he connected me with a guy by the name of Bill Davidge, who at the time was running the, the sports uh, program at Miami. And when I got back to Miami, uh, Bill became a, a tremendous mentor, uh, not only just from the classroom perspective, but uh, the coaching side. And uh, I, I ended up uh, at Miami University, so I was teaching hockey and skating classes to undergraduates. And then I uh, had an opportunity to become a graduate assistant coach for two seasons with their varsity team. Um, but Coach Davidge was really one that um, uh, gave me the uh, – sort of the blueprint. This is what you need to do. And, and this is how you get into this industry. And, and to this day, um, he stands out as uh, somebody that really shaped my career. Uh, that's, that's so crucial and so important that you have around yourself mentor who provides you a path and well, also helping you with certain things. And it's, it's one of the most important things that we have someone we can speak to, we can learn from and if you compare to Sean Hathaway, let's say from 1997, 98 to the Sean Hathaway to uh, now 2020, what is your motivation now for your job in comparison to 23 years ago? Well, certainly just the experience over all those years. And uh, I've, I've been fortunate to uh, uh, since since the 90s to have gone and obtained two graduate degrees uh, i've got a, a master's in sports studies and, and then i got a master's in teaching from colorado college um, so that education piece has has been uh, instrumental in, in my career and not only on the coaching side but the the administrative side um, but also the experience that i that i have with um, uh, working with cali Baleajo and with fiha um, in the relationships that I've built with Kali and, and Birmaki over the last several years, and, and as well as my relationships with USA Hockey um, and the managers there, and, and just the amount of research, the, what, what we learned in the classroom back at Miami, 98 to 2000, um, the long-term athletic development approach, age-appropriate training, how all of that has come to the forefront of youth development, and, and it's now uh, part of the process as opposed to just something that's sort of off on the side that science is looking at, but there's not, it's not being used practically um, to have what research, research driven methods and um, scientific methods driving the development of players um, and understanding that and being able to apply that. It's certainly night and day compared back to the, to the nineties before I went to school and before I started learning, learning all the uh, ins and outs about, how to develop athletes correctly. So um, certainly a completely different perspective than before starting the journey to now and, and uh, uh, very fortunate to, to, again, just continue to learn and, and be able to, to apply what, uh, you know, what the industry is learning on a daily or yearly basis uh, from research and, and applying that research. Yeah, you mentioned here the word experience, and I'm pretty sure that with, with the experience you get in those 23 years, as you said, um, a lot of research has been com coming out. Of there. Everything is more science-driven. But for your personal growth, I'm pretty sure that you have done by yourself some uh, reflection. And what we like to ask a lot is, um, could you brief briefly describe your coaching philosophy and if an insight that coaching philosophy also your core values? 
You bet. Um, it, certainly my philosophy over the years is, is evolved. Um, you, you take what you learn from previous coaches is when you were young and, and I think as a, as a young coach, you probably were, I probably was putting more emphasis on what my coaches at, at the youth level, how they coached me, that'll, that'll become how I'm going to coach other kids. And, and to see how that's changed over the years, I think um, I'm a very player centered coach. I, I believe uh, in, in giving kids the opportunity um, to learn on their own, uh, to teach them how to be creative um, without, you know, you, you don't want them, you know, playing robotically, um, really giving the kids the opportunity uh, to succeed and to fail on their own, um, teaching them what intrinsic motivation is, that it's not going to be the coach that's necessarily the one that it's motivating a player's uh, growth, but it's the player itself. Um, that player, you know, that player needs to have that inner drive to be able to succeed in the game, to do a little bit more than what others are doing uh, off the ice away when coaches and parents aren't watching. But, uh, you know, so I, I think I really, over the years, it's been more about trying to teach players how to reach their own potential, not by telling them what to do, but how to discover that um, on their own, helping to guide them, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And, you know, considering um, your philosophy, how, what, is, what is the most essential thing to that and to who you are as a coach that you display, you know, every day and, and outside of coaching as well? I think communication is is first and foremost a key to, to having uh, to being successful, uh, being able to communicate um, effectively, and then building trust, building trust with your players, um, whether it be coaching a team or or even running an organization. You know, having your staff members trust you um, specifically to a team, having having the players trust you and and trust each other and trust the process. So, I think. You know, beginning with that ability to communicate and then leading into the ability to to um, to build that trust. And, and once trust is built, um, then you can achieve a lot together. It's it's obviously if you can't communicate with uh, with people and, and people don't trust with what you're saying, it, you're you're running into a wall every time. So I just found that uh, um, really getting to know players, um, you know, having players understand setting goals, you know, setting a mission, setting goals for the season, short-term, long-term goals is important. Um, but that, you know, staying really actively involved in, in their, their process of development and, and, um, and staying authentic, not just throwing a bunch of buzzwords out there, but having a plan and, and, and really executing a, a season plan and, and really, um, um, a career plan for some of these players. This is what you, you know, need to be doing this season. And these are the things you need to be doing to, to have success down, down the road. And um, whether I have an opportunity to coach a player for a season um, or just an opportunity to, um, to kind of guide a player after I've coached them years down the road. I mean, Derek, you and I have spoken for years and your career uh, coaching, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity where you've called and said, Hey, give me, give me some advice here or there. And, and those are things that I appreciate more than anything to be able to, uh, to have that trust that not only you have the relationship and that trust built for a given season, but for years after, and, and to be able to give back um, advice or thoughts or, or even uh, now, you know, me being more, more of the student to you and, and learning, you know, what, what's the latest, what you're doing at Viramaki and, 
Um, so I think, but I think that it boils down to that, those two things, communication and trust. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned it. And, you know, I remember when I was, um, I think it was under 16 year when, when you were, um, with my team there and, and really had an impact with me. And I remember I had a meeting with you, um, with my, with my dad and we were talking about, you know, what, what maybe my future was in, in ice hockey and, um, you, you were able to, to say it in such a, a very truthful and honest way. And you actually like, you predicted it kind of perfectly. It happened how you said it. So what, what is that um, importance of, you know, honesty and, and, you know, maybe telling players what they may not want to hear and how does that help you or how do you help um, build that intrinsic motivation kind of at the same time? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, in, in any relationship, um, you know, honesty and, and trust is is crucial. Um, so, you know, if you're not honest with players, if you're sugarcoating things, if you're telling them what they want to hear as opposed to uh, uh, maybe the hard truth, um, I think you're you're setting people up to fail. So, honesty is, I mean, that should be the cornerstone of 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 everything that we do in life, in my opinion. Um, but um, but yeah, I think, uh, um, you know, having that ability again to, to communicate, um, this is what it is. And these are the things that you're going to need to, what you're going to need to do to achieve whatever. Right. And so if you've got a, you've got a blueprint and you're trying to figure out your future, um, you know, these are the things that you should be doing to try to achieve that. And, and here might be your limitations. And, um, and I think if you just explain it, uh, without sugarcoating anything, now you give that, that athlete, that student, um, sort of a, a path to say, well, th this is a realistic path. I can set goals now that are achievable goals, not goals that, you know, if, if you just started playing hockey at the age of, of 14 years old, are, are you going to get an NHL contract? It's probably not achievable. Right. <laughs> so, um, but to be honest and to be able to, to lay that path out for players where they can set goals that, that are achievable. And I think once players are able to achieve goals that they're setting, um, that reinforces the, um, the intrinsic motivation from a standpoint of what, what you're feeling by that achievement. And, and again, the, the difference between um, getting a reward. So my dad's going to give me $100 if I, uh, if I you know, make this hockey team or if I score 20 goals this season, right? Well, that's, that's something that's going to be given to me. It's not, there's not going to be that um, internal reward that, wow, I, I achieved something. There's something that's, that's achievable. So I think to build that intrinsic motivation in kids to get them to see what's reality, what's in front of them, what they can achieve, how they can achieve it, um, setting those goals. And then once players start to achieve things that, that, uh, set in motion their future, um, it, it sort of spirals in a positive way where, um, you get that, wow, I achieved that. Now I want a little bit more. Now I want a little bit more. And, and so I think that's, uh, that's really the, the key to that again, is just being realistic with expectations and, and honest about, uh, the directions that, uh, you can or can go. Sean, with your answer, you got me actually really excited because you mentioned the, the importance of goal setting here. And previously you mentioned before Derek asked the question that the importance of short-term and long-term goals. So first of all, why are 
is goal setting important, especially short term and long term? And how do we hold our players accountable for the goal setting? And how do we provide the necessary support? Because it's well, you can set a goal, but how much time do you actually invest it in following up the goal, the player's goal? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly anything in life, any endeavor, it starts with that process. Um, what do you want to achieve? You know, whether it's, uh, you know, in, in anything you're setting yourself up in life, what, what is exactly do you want to achieve out of something? And I think in hockey, um, you've got the short-term goals. What do you want to achieve on a, on a daily basis, in practice, on a weekly basis, uh, monthly basis versus long-term goals? What do you want to achieve by the end of the season, next season, five years from now? Um, you know, if I'm a player that's, uh, uh, you know, coaching a Bantam team right now, I have 13 and 14 year old players that aspire to play Division One college hockey and play in the NHL someday. So, um, if that's if that's your their long term goals, um, then let's let's set up some short term goals that match achieving those long term goals. And so, uh, for instance, well, if you want to have success and, and potentially go play division one hockey, you need to start uh, really focusing on your skill development, your stride, your skating stride. And, and um, you know, maybe a player is, is needing to fix some things with his stride needs to get a little bit faster um, setting goals about diet, nutrition, habits, just lifestyle habits. Um, and so I think, you know, taking what you want in the, in the big picture, and then how do you get there? And so you've got your long-term goals and then you, you figure out how to achieve those long-term goals by breaking that down into short-term goals as part of that journey. And, uh, and I, and I think, you know, just like playing in a hockey game, breaking a hockey game down into segments where, you know, you play three periods. Well, do you break that game down into three different periods? Do you break that game down into the shift by shift, right? If I'm a player, am I just focused on going out and, and achieving success every single shift? Um, or do I just look at the overall, I'm just going to go out and just achieve success in the game. And I think the more successful, successful players are able to break that down a little bit and, and look at the more short-term process that leads to the ultimate big picture, uh, the long-term. So, yeah, I think it's, it's the goal setting is crucial. And I think it's crucial to have the, long-term goals and and again the short-term goals are going to be what uh what gets you there yeah so looking at you know you mentioned earlier you had your your education your master's in education from Colorado college how do you think that that and i i remember you also you, know, you used to be a substitute teacher at my high school as well so how how do you think that background in teaching uh impacted your coaching and and did it help you in any way yeah, I had a tremendous impact. Um, I think one of the biggest uh, things that I took from from that education uh, was how the brain learns, right? How how you're able to uh, uh, communicate information um, and and how students gather information, uh, different learning styles, understanding um, that if you just stand up in front of a group of of players and, and talk, um, you're potentially missing a big part of, uh, of that group because some of those players aren't, uh, they don't learn best by just listening. Uh, they're visual learners, kinesthetic learners. So understanding the different learning styles, understanding how to reach each student um, that 
because everybody's unique. Everybody learns a different way. So having, having that understanding and then being able to adapt my coaching um, so that, again, your communication reaches everybody as opposed to just maybe that one or two different learning styles. Um, and then obviously just the approach, how to teach, how to, uh, how to organize information, how to present information, and uh, how to follow up. Um, so really that, that, uh, education was invaluable and, and the understanding how to teach again was to me was just another reinforcement of, uh, how to best communicate. How to teach is such, it's so necessary to understand how to teach and understanding how individuals learn. And I want to ask you here that actually when we, because you are, you coach Team Colorado, and I'm pretty sure that you work with a lot of coaches together in your job as well. And how do we get coaches to understand that it's really about this, that, that process in terms of teaching that players need time to understand certain things and that each player learns differently? And let's take the example you just took. Um, for example, in the game, there's... A player takes one bad shift, he's coming or she's coming back to the bench, and maybe the coach displays inappropriate behavior. But instead of this, we should be more encouraging and, as you said as well, considering the big picture. But how do we actually reinforce that this kind of mindset is um, more support for each individual's growth? Yeah, I mean, I think it's you raise the, the million dollar question or 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 i or maybe you have identified a big problem in the coaching world you know you've got coaches i think it goes back if i if i were to reflect on how i started out as a coach again uh, my philosophy my style would have been more like well i'm going to do things like it was when i was taught hockey um as opposed to developing my own philosophy based on the research and the science and and uh you know the education of how to connect with people and, and how to communicate it's night and day difference from how I coached in the nineties compared to now. Um, and yeah, certainly a player comes off the ice, makes a mistake. Um, you see that coach that, that loses it and yelling and screaming and, and, uh, and how, what's that effect on that player? And, and certainly research would most likely favor that that's not going to be effective in terms of motivating that player or getting that player to understand how to get better. Um, and so part of the problem I feel with coaches is they don't have that training. You know, we get, we get a lot of coaches uh, that, you know, whatever, they retire from playing pro hockey or they graduate, you know, you know, former players. And, and I think that the former player piece is, um, is, is problematic. And look, I, I was told when I went to Miami of Ohio, uh, my boss who I, I respected immensely was uh, the division one head coach at Miami was a guy by the name of Mark Maslini. And he told me when I first got to Miami, he said, well, he said, uh, you probably need to consider the admin side because you never played division one hockey. So I don't think you're going to have a coaching career. And that was a motivation for me um, to prove him wrong, that uh, you don't have to play division one hockey or pro hockey to have a career in coaching. And in fact, I think that that hinders and, and really uh, takes away from our sport and our ability to develop because it's almost like, well, if a player plays, then they know the game enough to teach. And that's not the case. You may know the game 
like the back of your hand, but you may not be able to communicate it effectively. And I think that's where the education piece comes in, where coaches should be educated. They should have to go through an education program beyond just the typical USA Hockey level one, two, three, four. Um, it's what I really appreciate about uh, Viramaki and, and what you guys are doing right now. You're getting your degrees to become coaches. Uh, and when you get out into the, into the industry, you're going to be effective. You're going to understand how to communicate. You're going to understand how to teach and to reach kids and to know that, yeah, if a player makes a mistake, having them come to the bench and losing it and screaming at them not only isn't going to help that player, it's not going to help your team. Um, and and as a, for you as a coach, um, what that tells me is that it's kind of all about you. you. You don't really know how to react to a situation, so you're going to lead with anger and frustration because that's what you see on television, right? You see, you see coaches get upset and yell. And um, but again, it's got to go back to the to the teaching side. How do you motivate? How do you correct mistakes? And uh, and so, yeah, I think I think that comes with an understanding of how do you reach kids? How do you reach? Um, you know, how do you communicate? And, and that comes through education. 100%. Yeah, I think uh, you make a really, a really good point. And I, I, I would have to agree with you there. And I think, you know, one of the cool things about our program is we have these professional players coming in that want to be coaches now, but we also have brand new um, young guys and girls that have never coached before, and they want to become coaches. So you, you put everyone that, you know, regardless of experience playing the sport, they're all in this environment together, learning how to coach together. And I think it's such a unique experience for, especially those younger players because, or those younger coaches, because, you know, they may not know much about the game, but those professionals, they may not know much about coaching and you can combine that and everyone comes out with a really great experience. And I think that, um, it, like you mentioned, you know, being a professional athlete doesn't make you a good coach, but, you know, educating yourself on coaching as a professional athlete that can be really powerful as well and um it's really cool to see that some of these guys are they're humble enough to to say that i want to be a coach but i don't know how and i think that's that's a really powerful message from them um but you know getting back on onto the the questions you know what we've talked a lot about education and in your masters and your your undergraduate but what other actions you know formal or informal have you taken to continuously grow as a, as a person and as a coach? Yeah, I think um, um, connecting with other professionals is, has been key. Um, you know, making sure that you, that I've been able to take advantage of uh, um, clinics, um, extra training opportunities, um, having conversations with other hockey professionals, um, building relationships, uh, with other coaches, other administrators, and, and being able to network. Uh, you know, if you have a question about something, being able to, to call somebody and, and get some questions answered. And, and so I think it is part of being successful in this business is, is having a strong network of people that you can call and, and, and speak with, um, get advice, get more knowledge. Um, you know, every day is a learning opportunity. And if, if somebody thinks they have, they have all the answers, um, you know, that then that's not a growth mindset. And so I think just every day getting up every day and, and trying to learn something new um, is, it seems maybe a little cliche, but it's, uh, it really is the key to, to being successful. And, and um, so, yeah, I, I just, I've been fortunate to have a, a strong network of, of people that, that I've uh, amassed over the years and, 
um, not only there in Finland, but in the United States. And, and uh, uh, so that continuous connection to other professionals and, and getting advice, getting feedback, um, that, that helps the process along. Oh yeah, that's also right. With our with this with the thing, what we are doing here with our show, it's something we definitely experience as well. That, and at the same time, it's so fun to talk to so many people because you. The most important thing, what I remind always myself, you you share the same passion. Uh, everyone is sitting in the same boat, and the end, if there is any result, what we can like consider as end result is developing better players and that can be only done with, as you said, with a growth mindset. And if everyone inside that board has that growth mindset, just thinking about how good actually the hockey community can be and how, how good players we can actually develop in the future. And we also wanted to ask you actually how uh, failure or apparent failure have set you up for later success and do you have like a favorite failure of yours? Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so back before I went to, uh, graduate school, and this was probably the day that I knew, uh, I knew I needed to move on, uh, and coach at a higher level, or at least go get educated to, to learn maybe how to coach correctly. Um, I was coaching a sport team. They were, uh, nine and 10 year olds. It wasn't a, a highly talented team. We didn't have a lot of success at the beginning of the year. And, uh, uh, then lo and behold, over Christmas, we ended up winning a tournament. And so now all of a sudden we went from being kind of the bad news bears to a team with a little bit of success and a little more expectations than, than, uh, uh, than I had maybe at the beginning of the season. And so we kept playing after that tournament win. And about a month, a month after that, um, didn't seem like we were getting any better. And I went in the locker room after a game up in Denver and, uh, and I gave one of the old uh, speeches that one of my old high school coaches would have given, you know, which was, uh, firm and and probably not appropriate for nine and ten year olds and I told them that uh, we're stagnant and I asked the kids do you know what stagnant means and of course nine and ten year olds didn't know what stagnant means and so I said well so I want you to imagine a pond with no water flowing in and no water flowing out and and that pond becomes stagnant it gets muck and mold and nastiness growing on it and, and I said that's what we are we're we're stagnant and uh, so I drove home from Denver and I got a call probably 20 minutes after leaving the rink from one of the mothers and she was very upset and uh, said her, her son was crying and, and very upset after the, the game and uh, she wanted to know uh, why I felt it was appropriate to call the kids pond scum after the game. And uh, so that failure I knew right there and then that, uh, you know what, maybe I need to go get educated and maybe I need to be coaching at a higher level. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that stands out to this day. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great story, and um, I think <laughs> I think that's a, that's pretty powerful. Actually, I think that's um, one of the the cooler ones we've we've got for that question. And um, you know, moving moving forward in the in the conversation, you've mentioned a couple times now your your relationship with with Fiha and with with Cali. Uh, how did that all get started? Um, and how did you get connected with, with the program over here? Yeah, I was very lucky. Um, so I was the executive director up in Aspen, uh, working for Aspen Junior Hockey, and um, uh, basically did a, a fundraiser. And we were able to, to 
um, procure uh, some funds, able to get some uh, a donor that decided you know he wanted to uh, donate to the program. Um, his words to me uh, was very clear: "Don't squander my money." Um, so I went to uh, USA Hockey. I met with Kevin McLaughlin and Joe Bonnet, uh, managers there at USA Hockey, and it was really their idea um, to see if we can see if we can uh, uh, get Cali um, to Aspen, and it seemed like a, a pretty far-fetched idea. Um, I reached out to Cali and timing was everything. Um, he had just been offered, uh, they were creating his current position now, which was, you know, the youth manager position there in Finland, uh, but it hadn't started yet. And, and so he was able to uh, talk to FIHA about the possibility of, of coming to Aspen for six months and they were supportive. And so uh, we brought Cali over, he, he moved to Aspen and he lived there for six months and, and worked with me and and really helped develop um, the curriculum that we put into place in Aspen, which was very similar um, in terms of the community, a smaller community, a Nordic community, a multi-sport athletic community. Um, and it, there was a lot of similarities between some of the culture in Finland uh, and, and Aspen. Um, again, from that multi-sport, multi-athletic perspective. Um, and so, yeah, he was there for six months. It was probably the, the best six months of my life uh, in terms of growth and learning. Um, certainly, I mean, Kali is a, uh, he's an expert in the field. And, and for me to have the opportunity to work daily with him was, was one of the greatest, uh, greatest experiences of my career. And, and so, yeah, I was very fortunate. When he left, uh, we decided um, to continue um, the, the connection. And, and so we, we got, uh, student coaches year after that, uh, the following season and for the next three supplemental years. After that, we had students from Birmaki coming over and doing their, their mentorship, their six month mentorship project in Aspen. And, um, and when I left Aspen and took the executive director job for Team Colorado, um, and which is part of the Colorado Amateur Hockey Association, it made sense to, uh, to take that connection to the state level and so, uh, Callie and I continue to work together with Joel Bonnet at USA Hockey, and we're going to uh, we're going to start working on some um, some educational uh, webinars on a monthly basis this season, um, and and provide executive directors and coaches throughout Colorado uh, an opportunity to learn and, and to gain some in, insight as to uh, what's happening with FIHA, um, why Finland's so successful, um, how that uh, translates to USA Hockey, the American Development Model, the curriculum here, and and how programs can can strengthen themselves, like we did in Aspen, um, by looking at different ways of, of developing players. And so, um, I'm fortunate to continue the relationship with Kali and, and Fiha, and uh, and looking forward to this year putting this program together. And and um, so, yeah, that's that's how that came to happen. And and I look forward to the future because we've got. Uh, we got a lot yet to accomplish. And I think the education piece and, and getting other people to understand um, the intricacies, the, the details of, of, again, what makes a good coach, what makes a good program, and, and how do you develop kids to your maximum potential, um, the, the opportunity to get some information out to others, um, it's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, that was one thing that I really – was impacted by when I came over here is just just how they do things and the culture that they have around sports and and the the view that they have of of coaching and and player development as a whole it's it's very unique and to get some of that back in Colorado I think is going to be 
really powerful. And so you mentioned, you know, how it impacted the, the way things were done in Aspen and multi-sport and multi-athlete kids. But what, what have you taken away personally and implemented into your own coaching or your own life from that relationship that you've had with, with FIHA? Well, just um, learning. And, and when I say learning, I, I still have yet to get to Finland and, and, and I hope to at some point to, to really do a lot more just observing and to see what things are like on the ground. Um, but the general, the overall philosophy, um, again, of, of leading with uh, making sure that these kids are, are being taught how to be creative, that they're not being put in a box, that they're not being taught how to play robotically, uh, how important skill development is, uh, how important developing skills at the right age um, is, and, um, and then how practices are run, um, you know, the making sure that there's constant movement and, and that the kids are, aren't standing in lines and, and that, uh, you know, you're taking an hour practice and you're being very effective in, in your planning and that uh, you're achieving something that you, you as a coach are basically setting goals for yourself. What do you want to achieve on each practice and that you're going out there and, and putting drills in a place where the kids are constantly moving and constantly working and, and, uh, and having fun. Um, having the opportunity to, to succeed and fail throughout the practice um, without the fear of, uh, of, you know, you know, if you don't do something correct, you're going to get on the goal line and we're going to, we're going to do the whole Herb Brooks skate until you throw up approach, you know, th those things just don't work anymore. And so, you know, just really learning, um, taking a, a philosophy that, that makes sense to me and, and then seeing the practical side of it, you know, this is how it looks. Um, in the real, in real time. And I think that was something that, uh, that I was able to gain, uh, from my time with Kali and, and, um, and that's, it's affected, uh, it's affected my coaching and my style. And, and certainly, um, when I watch practices, the very first thing I look at is how many kids are standing in line. <laughs> and if there's a lot of standing around it, it's, it's probably not a very effective practice. Yeah, we already touched on this a little bit. So unfortunately there is still, in the coaching community, the way how practices are run and the way how it's communicated is sometimes maybe not the way how it's, how is it here. I, I've been experiencing uh, this in Germany and I'm, what Derek has been telling me, he has been experiencing this in the States and I'm pretty sure that there are a lot of other people like you as well who has been experiencing this issue. And with those, with those issues, they're coming certain challenges and well, we what Derek told me that throughout your career you have been, you had a few challenges already with different clubs and with strong cultures, and was it challenging to establish yourself and your vision in these clubs, and how did you do it? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly when when you're when you're doing things different, you know, change is tough. Um, the the youth coaching world is is interesting because you you know again not everybody is educated um people don't go get college degrees in coaching which i think they should um you have to go get educated to become a, a teacher in a classroom but yet we don't have the same standards for coaching so you get into a situation where um you have coaches that have been doing it again based on well, like I was in, in, in the 90s before I went to school and, and learned, 
uh, a different approach. You know, you, you basically did it how you teach how it was taught when you were a kid. And, you know, if I succeeded, then uh, I'm going to teach the same way. And, and so in right or wrong, um, it, it doesn't matter in that coach's mind. This is their philosophy. This is how they feel, feel it should be done. And, and so getting, getting people to sort of step back and, and evaluate their approach and, and trying to get people to understand that maybe your approach isn't effective and, and maybe research is showing that in fact, it's having the opposite effect in terms of positive development. That's tough. And it's, and it's tough for people to maybe accept that, especially somebody that I've been playing hockey my whole life. Don't tell me how to coach these kids. I know what I'm doing. Um, so that, that's a challenge. And then you have people that are essentially uneducated about the sport of hockey in general, but they've, they know sports, you know, a, a parent played division one volleyball. So they know what it means to be successful as an athlete. And, and so, you know, you're always going to have that challenge. You're always going to have people that maybe not buying into what you think is right. And, and I think uh, the same challenge is to not get stuck to where I feel like, you know, I don't have all the answers. Um, I feel like I've got a general idea of, of how it should look, but, but again, um, I would be, uh, I would be just as arrogant and, and short-sighted if, if I were to judge everybody and say, well, if you don't do it this exact way, it's wrong. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways to teach a lot of different ways to, to get through to kids. But, um, um, but yeah, it's that you're always going to have that. You're always going to have people that question your motives, question your, your structure, your beliefs, how you do it. But um, I think at the end of the day, to be able to go back to the research, the science, and, and what, what, um, what's being proven to work based on brain-based research and physiological research. And, um, and again, if you, if you bring it back to, it's not just throwing darts at a dartboard, but there's a, there's a process and, and there's a reason that we, you know, teach skating at a certain age. You know, you talk about windows of trainability um, in, in the USA Hockey American Development Model and making sure that you're teaching specific skills before these kids get to be 13, 14 years old and that skill window closes up. You know, for somebody to understand that, um, you know, it might go against their philosophy. And what I mean by that is you take a, a person, again, like myself, that called these kids pond scum coaching squirts, right? We were focused on winning, winning, winning. Um, by focusing on winning at a nine and 10 year old age, if, if that's what your focus is, and uh, then you're probably not gonna be teaching, you're not gonna be teaching all the required skills that those kids are gonna need at that age. And so I think being able to, again, explain the process, the why, um, but then also knowing too, you're gonna have pushback and, and having a strategy on how to deal with that conflict is, is just as important. So when you think about, you know, you know, you mentioned a lot about the, the mentality of the clubs and, and trying to um, use the science, use the evidence and, and get these clubs to kind of change their culture, change their uh, mentality when it comes to development. And, you know, I, I wanted to ask about the club in general, but now I kind of want to narrow it down into, you know, these, these, I call them old school coaches or old school parents that you know, they know what's best for their kids. They know what's best for these 10-year-olds, but they've never been educated in what's best for these kids. Um, how, do you, how do you change their mindset um, from more of a, a fixed mindset on, hey, this is kind of the only way to do it to, hey, there is another way 
to do it and it might be better. And, you know, you just mentioned that strategy. So maybe a little bit about like, what is that strategy for changing the mind of these people? Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, that's a tough question. Um, and, and for some people, the reality is, is that you may not ever change their minds. Um, and I think number one, you have to be willing to accept that. Um, again, like, like communicating with your players, the key is being honest, um, straightforward. And, and, uh, you know, I think trying to engage conversations with, with people that, uh, um, they think they have all the answers. Um, if, if they're not willing to listen and look at it from a different perspective, you know, sometimes adults get stuck in their ways that you may not ever get to those, those people. And I think that's, you have to accept that as a, as a reality. Um, but I also think that, um, again, by having, by having conversations and, and then hopefully, uh, being able to, to implement some things that you can start proving some people essentially that look, this process is working. And, and that's, so yeah, it's a really tough question. And, and I don't know if there really is an answer, Derek, to that. I mean, it, it depends on the, depends on how stuck somebody is in their ways, I guess. Um, the hope is, is that, that you can, um, you can kind of push that change. But at the end of the day, if, if I'm running an organization and, and you know, like a, uh, running team Colorado, I definitely give my coaches a lot of room to run it their way to, to, you know, have their, have their own stamp on it as you will. But, uh, but certainly as an administrator, if, if I've got a coach that's completely doing it the opposite way and is abusive and, you know, everything is negatively uh, charged and, and there's, you know, there's, you see things aren't being done right obviously as an administrator, I can remove that person as a coach, um, from a coach to a, to a parent, um, it becomes a little bit more different and uh, difficult. And, and maybe at the end of the day, uh, you have to leave that setting, I guess, you know, you, you had walk away there. You have to just realize that sometimes you're not going to change the minds of people. Um, but it's like with everything else, you, you hope that, uh, you hope that common sense prevails you hope that calmer heads prevail and you hope that, um, that the, that intelligence wins out over emotion. Yeah. And especially you said talking about that some people, they will never, well, it's some people will hardly change the way how they think. And I, I truly want, because I'm, I think you have a lot of experience with this. How do you deal overall with fixed minded people in the long term run? How do you communicate with them? Because it's pretty, I think it's pretty tough to argue with them. Yeah. I mean, somebody that's fixed in their ways. Um, yeah. That it becomes difficult. Um, I, you know, I think, I think, I think the big thing is, um, having the ability and the patience to try to understand their mindset is is critical so if somebody that's got a fixed mindset and is unwilling to change to really understand well where where does their belief their philosophy where, where does it come from um and uh, so trying to understand their perspective as best as possible I, I think is is important certainly not preaching or telling somebody they're wrong um if you tell somebody with a fixed mindset that they're wrong it, it's you're not going to gain anything and so really finding out from where their perspective is coming from and, and figuring out ways that you might be able to just inject some different thoughts and different ideas that 
might get them to maybe look at it from a different perspective. And, and it's tough. I mean, certainly somebody that's that, that old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, there are some people that certainly fall in that category, but I'm also an optimist. And I also think that uh, um, having quality conversations and, and being able to communicate effectively, that, that's key to everything. And, and I also think having those difficult conversations are possible. And, and uh, you know, I look at talking to maybe fixed minded people as a challenge and, and an opportunity to, uh, to also learn a different perspective on my end, frankly. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. And um, I think it's, it helps kind of deal with the kind of frustration. I think that sometimes you, you can deal with those fixed minded people and, and, you know, if you look at it as, Hey, I, I'm, you know, I like this, this is, this is good for me. And I can kind of dig into what actually, you know, I believe in and, and, and kind of find my own reasoning for that. I, I wanted to ask, do you, we've talked now, you know, a bunch about, you know, fixed minded coaches, fixed minded clubs, that kind of thing. But is there any other challenges that you would, you, you faced as a youth hockey director, youth hockey coach that maybe you could share how you overcame those challenges? Um, well, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, I think the big thing as a director, the big challenge is, is getting coaches to, uh, to look at things from a different perspective, um, to, uh, to incorporate, um, some of the cutting edge techniques, best practices. Um, I think the big challenge is, is everything we've talked about. How, how do you communicate that, uh, uh, to adults? And, and it's, you know, we talk about teaching players. We talk about, uh, you know, communicating to players and how important that is, but it's, it's no different with adults. And, and, uh, and I think a little bit obviously tougher because again, adults have their own experiences and their own beliefs and their own mindsets. And so, and sometimes adults don't want to hear from other adults, right? <laughs> you don't want to be told that you're wrong or you're right. But I, I, I think that that's, that's one of the biggest challenges. Finding good quality coaches is always a, a difficult piece, especially, you know, when I was in Aspen, it was a small community and, and trying to find um, coaches that were willing to put in the effort and, and the time that it takes to deal with parents and deal with kids and to do it basically for free. Uh, the volunteer piece is always difficult. So finding quality coaches without paying them lots of money, that's, that's certainly a challenge. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, but just, you know, I really a lot of the job of a director, a lot of times, um, becomes, and especially with larger clubs becomes conflict management and how you're able to best deal with conflicts, conflicts with uh, parents and coaches and conflicts with players and coaches and, and, uh, you know, parents not up, you know, parents are upset about this or that. And, and, and again, how do you, you know, how do you, uh, how do you manage conflict? And so, yeah, I, I think that's arguably one of the bigger challenges of a director that goes, uh, uh, really unnoticed uh, how much, how much conflict management there is in the business. Yes. Now we have been talking about this conflict management, how to speak to people, to everyone else, how to how to bring everyone together. And, um, but if you, if you had the opportunity, what would look the ideal club environment you would create? Um, yeah, basically having a, an orphanage, uh, with no parents involved. 
So no, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think, I think the, uh, the, the ultimate, uh, would be a, a program where, um, there's, uh, the basically everybody leaves their ego at the door. Um, and that, uh, and that you have players and parents and coaches that have open minds about, um, what it takes to be successful, um, to basically, um, lead with a mission statement, set your organizational goals and, and, and to be able to have buy-in, um, from the parents and the players. And, and I'm fortunate. I, I came back this year and, and, uh, I took on the, the Bantam AAA, uh, team here in Colorado Springs. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a breath of fresh air because there's a, there's a level of respect that the parents have given me, um, to basically give me the room to, develop their kids. And, and I think after the first month of, of being with this group, the parents realize that their kids are, are getting a, a good experience. They're getting pushed in practices. They're working hard. They're playing at a high pace. And that, um, you know, in a short period of time, we're, we're overachieving a little bit and, and exceeding expectations and we're seeing great improvement. And so I think, you know, this situation this year is probably one of the of uh, the better ones that I've had just simply because again, I was given the opportunity at the beginning, that room where there wasn't a lot of judging and people were going to uh, let me, let me do things my way and, and, uh, and let's see where the results are. Now we'll see what happens in two months. Maybe my team falls apart and, <laughs> and the parents are screaming at me for, to go away. I, I don't think that'll happen, but uh, I, I think that's, that's really the ideal situation is, is allowing allowing somebody to come in and, and to do things correctly without the prejudging and, and without the, uh, uh, the expectations. Well, you can do it this way to a degree. Um, and, and let, let the, uh, uh, evaluate, reevaluate, reevaluate, and continue to reevaluate, right? Look at how your things are going and, and are you making progress and, um, is your team getting better? Are your players developing? Are they enjoying the experience? Are they having fun? Um, and you can start answering all those questions. But I think, again, having that ability to, uh, to not be in a box from the get-go, uh, to have the open minds of parents and athletes and, and, uh, and let the proof uh, be proven in the, uh, in the outcome. Yeah, Sean, I don't know if you have been hearing about the book, uh, The Energy Bus. It's speaking about energy givers and energy vampires. And I wanted to ask you because it sounds that you have been going through a lot of things, maybe also adversity, a lot of challenges. From where do you take all the energy every day? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> and the positivity uh, and like, like everything around it. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, mean, I enjoy a challenge. I, I enjoy, uh, you know, the, the challenge is, is, is what keeps me going. And, and uh, you know, I looked at, years ago when I left, uh, I mean, I had a great job back in, in the nineties. I, I graduated college. I had a company car. I had a, a career uh, in the heavy highway construction industry that, that, uh, you know, who knows, I might be running the company today if I would have stuck around. And, uh, um, but again, what is the challenge of that? And, and I think with coaching, with dealing with, with athletes, with dealing with parents, when you're dealing with the prized possession of parents, which are their children, um, you know, that, that provides a daily challenge. And, and for me, that's what gets me up every day. Um, you know, every day, something new, something different. And, um, 
yeah, it can be exhausting at times, but, but I think if I didn't have that challenge, I'd be extremely uh, bored. And um, um, so, but that's, that's kind of my makeup, my personality. I mean, I, I, I feel like I always have to be moving, have to be working, have to be doing something to, uh, to challenge myself and, and certainly teaching and, and coaching. Um, there's, there's, there's nobody more challenged and, and I think probably don't get the credit that they deserve as, as teachers and coaches. Um, it's, uh, it's certainly, uh, um, it's not the, the easiest industry to be a part of, but, um, but one that I found uh, feeds me and, and gets me excited to, to wake up and, and, and to go that route. So I think if I were to, to give this all up and go back to a, a desk job or, or something, uh, I'd, I'd be a very unhappy person. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great way to view things. And, you know, besides uh, calling nine-year-olds pond scum, what, what is one thing that you would give yourself, uh, one piece of advice that you'd give yourself if you were talking to uh, Sean Hathaway from 1997 or, or before that even? Um, that anything's possible. You can achieve anything. And I know that sounds cliche, but, uh, you know, uh, again, when I took the job at Miami and, and coach Maslini telling me that there's no way you'll coach, you never played division one hockey, you know, those obstacles. Um, I would go watch. I, I remember when, um, when Colorado college, uh, their hockey team, they got a coach by the name of Don Lucia and they made it to the national championship game in the early nineties. And I used to go watch those games and, and watch coach Lucia and, and just wish dream. Boy, I wish, I wish I could uh, achieve something like that. I wish I could be a, you know, somebody like Coach Lucci, I had such such admiration for him. And, uh, you know, 25 years later, to, to be in the position that I'm in, um, to be around the professionals that I'm able to be around and, and the connections that I've made, not only in here in the U.S., but around the world, I never would have thought that I'd be here at, at this point. So I, I guess to go back then to, to, tell, to tell my young self is to, uh, to trust the process and continue to work hard. Don't, uh, you know, there were days where I honestly, yeah, I was ready to give up. This is too much. Uh, I'm never going to make it. Uh, you know, this is, um, but, but that the, the journey has been worth it. And, and there really isn't, I don't know what the end is. I don't, I don't know what the end, you know, it's, it's not about what's the end game. It's about the entire process. And um, so, but, but yeah, just, just to believe that, that you work, you work hard, good things happen and uh, anything's possible. Um, yeah, I think, uh, go ahead. Well, it sounds cliche, but yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, I mean, sometimes cliche is good. And, uh, I think that might be a, a good place to wrap it up. So Sean, thank you for, for joining us today. It was a, it was a pleasure to talk to you and, you know, knowing you for, from a player and now as a coach, it was, uh, really great to hear more about your background, your story and, and your path. So, so thanks for sharing and thanks for being honest with us today. Well, thanks guys for everything you're doing. Thanks for the, the opportunity today. It's been huge. And, uh, um, uh, and I'm, I'm very thankful that, uh, that you guys are putting in the time and effort because I know, uh, I know the hockey world's going to be uh, a lot better off with you guys in it. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, good luck with the, with the season this year.
So one more time, big thank you to, to Sean for joining us today. It was a pleasure to talk to him about his path as a coach and how he got started and, and the things that he learned over, you know, the 23 years he's been coaching. You know, Rick, I, I thought it was really interesting. He, he mentioned it a couple times, but, you know, he mentioned that he approaches every day as a, as a learning opportunity. He gets up and he tries to learn something new every day. And I think that, you know, it's, it's a theme we've gotten back to over and over again on our show of continuous improvement, but, you know, it, it shows really well, I think, who, who's there to, to grow and who's there to help their athletes more and more and more. And I think that's a, it's a good piece of a philosophy for anybody to have. And then, you know, I, I really liked um, his philosophy itself, you know, player centered and, you know, helping players reach their potential. I think that that is a key piece as well. And, and then also he, he talked a lot about communication and honesty and how those both tie into to trust. And I think that that was also really interesting to hear about and, and listen to. I, I think that the way how he presented himself in our interview, it's very, it's not that, that he just says that honesty and trust are important, but he actually has the people skills to de develop trust in people by being honest. But I think also based on his experience, and I think it also comes, your communication skills improve over time. So the more experience you get, the better you know how to approach people and how to talk with them. And actually, my favorite two points from that conversation were that the first one is that how much do we actually break things down to better understand it? Um, I mean, by this, I mean that we always point out on our show that practice needs to be age appropriate, but how do we actually make it age appropriate? That is the question we should ask us. And I think the way how we make it age appropriate is if we look at the game, it's no problem if you start at the professional level, if you start from there, but how much do you break it down from there? Are you still going to practice with under 12 players like you would do with under 20 or professional players? Or are you actually really looking at like, what does the game requires to play when you when your players are 11 years old? So I think that's a very important question. And my second point is that what I really liked about Sean's conversation is that that you need to have the ability to understand people's mindset, regardless of what kind of mindset they have. And you really need to try to understand their perspectives and consider their needs, even though it doesn't align all the time with your own approach and with your philosophy but in the end you need to think about everyone and the last thing what everyone wants to have is retention in any kind of sport yeah for sure and i think that that that's a huge piece of it and you know one thing i also liked is um is connecting his his past as a teacher and his education for teaching into coaching because you know if you break down a coach that at the base of their job they're, they're a teacher and i think that that is a really valuable background to have as a coach. And it's something that, you know, I talk to my mom a lot, which I mentioned in the episode, she's a, a principal. And I talk to her all the time about the stuff I'm learning here and the things that she's learning in her continuous education classes. And there's so many pieces that connect and so many things that you can bring from one field to the other field and, and use for teaching math. You can use some similar strategies for, for teaching, um, you know, skills on the ice. I think that that is, 
it's a really valuable piece to have and, and it really helps you understand how kids learn and how people learn and, and how you can use that as a coach. And I, I really enjoyed that. You know, the other piece that I, I really enjoyed is how open he was, you know, he, he didn't hesitate to share that story that um, he called, uh, I think it was pond, pond scum. He called his 10 year olds. And I think that that was, uh, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of openness and, and honesty for, for someone to share that on such a platform and, you know, it, it goes to show that you shouldn't be kind of embarrassed by who you were as a coach, but kind of reflective on it and, and know that you're growing and know that you're getting better and, um, and know that you would never do that now. And, um, you know, that was a, it was a really interesting story and a, a really good message for any young coach, I think. Well, this goes totally back to that experience piece that I think it's important to automate these kind of experience because, Otherwise, how would you know that you could maybe also do it in a different way? And I think we all, everyone who has been starting coaching has made this kind of experience and it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's, I think we can talk openly about it. And overall, I just, I just enjoyed the entire energy from Sean. It was a very energetic conversation. The room was filled with passion and enjoyment for the game and love for coaching. It was really that was really, really cool. And to your point, what you have been saying that you're discussing a lot with your mom about education and that Sean is a teacher and that as he has been pointing out as well in the episode, it helps him a lot in being a coach. And as he has been mentioning in the episode is that a huge issue is that the majority of the coaches don't have the training, but we need to ask ourselves, how do we actually can provide everyone with a certain education so each coach can approach each individual with an age-appropriate approach that's i think very important to ask yeah it's a it's a big challenge for sure and you know to your point about the the energy you know it's 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 crazy you know you think about um the the struggles and the the challenges he's faced at at, at some clubs and throughout his 23 years plus coaching and it's it's crazy to still come to hockey and come to coaching with that same energy, that same passion every day. And I think it's, it's, it's something that's really great. But, you know, I think that's a, that's a good place to end it for today's episode. So thank you everybody for, for listening. And we hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation with Sean Hathaway today. Um, make sure you connect with the show on social media to stay up to date with episodes and updates for the show. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Coaches Road. And we'd always love to hear from you guys. Um, our email is thecoachesroad at gmail.com. Never, uh, never hesitate to send us an email with any thoughts, uh, questions, or recommendations of stuff we can do better or people we can get on. Once again, thanks for listening, and we will see you guys next week.